This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, I watched and uh, caught up on the London police presser yesterday. And if you are wondering what I'm talking about, we aired it at 2 o'clock. It was a long-awaited news conference. Tons of local and national reporters there. I saw um, the BBC reported on it. I don't think they had anybody there, but it was a story on the BBC News, just like if five soccer players were arrested for a sexual assault investigation it, who all had played in it played in England's Premier League, we'd be like, whoa, that ends up being big news, and we'd pay attention to it, or Australia and rugby, or somewhere else in hockey in Europe. But it was London, Ontario's moment in the spotlight yesterday. And I cannot figure out a couple things. One is the woman at the center of the sexual assault case. Uh, You and I could have a conversation about it and say that must be incredibly difficult to come forward in the first place. That must be incredibly humiliating. She must be incredibly brave and strong. And all those things would be true. We would talk about that in our circles. I'm going to tell you, we can have conversations without knowing the substantive nature of the case, that the London police chief can't have and can't say publicly. But he did yesterday. He did. And he called the woman the victim. He apologized to said victim. Now, was he apologizing for what happened to her or the six-year delay in laying charges? There's a little gray matter there where I think you can interpret it a bunch of different ways. But when you're a cop, and we're, when you're the police chief and you're at a news conference of such incredible scrutiny, I don't think you want to leave anything up for grabs. The five men now aged 24 to 26, four NHLers and one who was playing with a team in Switzerland, all appeared by video yesterday morning and the case got adjourned till April 30th. And this documents how difficult um, this run is going to be in terms of Snap, snap, hurry up. I got a life to lead. But what's going to happen here? You're not going to know what's going to happen here, probably for the better part of 24 to 30 months. This is how long these things do end up taking. Jacob Hogard of uh, Headley was convicted of a crime about a year ago at this time. But the initial charges against him were prior or rather just as the pandemic got going. And you think about how long a period of time that is. That's a pretty standard 18 to 24 give or take another couple months to go from charges to a verdict. And we'll see if indeed that's the case here. The players are going to plead not guilty. But here's where the chief of police absolutely loses me because he's in enough trouble, I think, in terms of legal perspective. I'm hoping he hasn't prejudiced this case. I want a fair trial for this accuser and I want a fair trial for the players. I do believe in justice. And remember, we got to remember something, too. Two summers ago, the players' lawyers, a couple of them, released a series of text messages and they released a video. Why would they do that? Because they were hoping it proved consent. They were hoping it absolved their clients of a day like yesterday where they end up getting charged. Well, the videos didn't have enough of an impact, but I did remember seeing the videos thinking, okay, this gives me some clarity This does look like coercion. This makes the players look like scuzz buckets. But we can't put people in jail for eight to ten years for being scuzz buckets. We have to prove intent. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, a jury, 12 of them, must believe that, that there was a sexual assault or rape that took place. They must believe that. 
But here's where the chief of police absolutely loses me. He started talking about the portrayal of females in pop culture and in magazines and videos. He talked about sexualization. And I'm going, you're a cop. You're allowed to have those opinions in your backyard, with your friends, talking with your wife, with your buddies, on a road trip, playing golf. You can't step up with a case that has the spotlight like this and say things like here. There's a widespread prevalence of violence towards women worldwide, worldwide. And one contributing factor and one complex thing that we need to address is us as a society and community. Okay, right away, right away, if I'm helping him out, I'm kind of, and if nobody could see me, I'm kind of kicking him under the table, but there was no table and there was nobody to kick. And I'm kind of tugging at his shirt going, stop right there. Problem is, the chief didn't. The sexualization of young women and girls in today's society is contributing to the violence against women. And part of it, and I'm not blaming the media, but I do want to highlight that how we portray young women and girls on TV, in music videos, how we write about them, magazine shoots, all that contributes to sexual violence and the normalization of what we're seeing. Okay, I'd love to tell you I have no idea what to say about that, but I do. He's patently wrong. It's the wrong thing to say, and his facts are wrong. Over a 10-year period between 2012-13 and 21-22, of sexual assault charges led to guilty verdicts. But by the way, there's 48% fewer charges. That's a 10-year low. I'd like to think we're getting better. What is he talking about? It, music videos. Nobody's watched a music video in 20 years. Nobody has. And they were worried about that in the 1980s with the sexualization of women in videos. Nobody thinks that. Magazine shoots. What are you even talking about? Nobody buys magazines anymore. If you're talking about social media and some of the problems with it, I'll give you that. It is a more dangerous landscape. We talk about that all the time. That's the route you go. This sounded like a script that was cut and pasted from some kind of, honestly, right-wing moral majority group. Like, we're talking Jerry Falwell stuff from 1983. And not only are you wrong about this, we're, we're doing better. We're raising better children. We're doing a better job with our young boys than our parents did with us, than their parents did with them. Society has shifted. We're able to listen more. We're able to push harder. We're able to be better. We see something, say something way more than we used to. And I won't hear otherwise. But let me make this important point here. You're the freaking chief of police. This is not your lane. Your lane is, here's the charges. Here's what we found out. I'll do my best to answer questions. Talking about magazine shoots and music videos. Who found this guy? What is what are we doing when this is the spokesperson for the cops? Am I wrong about this? Text me at 416-870-6400. Let's give that last clip again. I want to emphasize how dramatically ill-timed this is. And by the way, if your goal, and I, I think it was, is to help get a conviction here, 
you did the wrong thing. You've hurt the prospects of getting a conviction here in the court of public opinion. The sexualization of young women and girls in today's society is contributing to the violence against women. And part of it, and I'm not blaming the media, but I do want to highlight that how we portray young women and girls on TV, in music videos, how we write about them, magazine shoots, all that contributes to sexual violence and the normalization of what we're seeing. Okay, you can go a million different directions. Why not say sometimes I think the justice system is stacked against victims? Because it actually is. The actual number of sexual assaults isn't properly measurable because people are afraid to come forward for valid reasons. Say that. What are we talking about? Like, uh, honestly, we can rip up your argument like a like a crumple it up like a piece of paper and throw it in the garbage bin. You're not some kind of moral majority. You're the chief of police. You clearly haven't haven't had a sociology class to save your life. When this happens, I'm thinking to myself, these lawyers of these hockey players and the hockey players themselves, they should be celebrating how foolish the chief of police looked. And it shouldn't have come to that. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. You just never know what you're going to get when you uh, I sounded like Forrest Gump there. Sorry. Uh, but when we leave at nine o'clock, we're never quite sure what's coming in regards to a story. And uh, I take us back. Shiba Siddiqui's our uh, awesome producer. And I take us back to covering um, and we sort of like walked people through the airing of Queen Elizabeth's funeral back in the fall of 2022. And Ben yes. O'Hara Byrne, who hosts our overnight show, A Little More Conversation, was um, at the church where the funeral was. And we aired it. We did. Right? Yes. And I think about that when we're, you know, getting close to 18 months from that moment. Um, and then there was... A little later on that, in the spring of 2023, King Charles was coronated as king. But what we... He's waited his whole adult life yes. for that moment. It's it's dramatically uh, it's dramatically documented in season after season, an episode down, <laughs> episode after the, of the Crown. Yes, I'm just catching up. I'm just getting to where Diana met Dodie, so I'm behind. Oh, really? I'm way, <gasps> no, no, you're way not behind. that behind. You're not that. Oh, wait, you're in season five. Yeah, I am. That's where they met because there's a new Charles, I think. Okay, season not the six guy that was on the affair. I know I haven't got this. To it gets really spicy yet. and juicy here. Um, but when we left the show yesterday, I guess one of the last things we might expect, King Charles had gone to the hospital for what was deemed, you know, a regular screening and, and had came home. He was treated for a um, enlarged prostate. Yes. So yesterday, Buckingham Palace announced that that the doctors had found a cancer during his recent treatment. Now, it's not been described as prostate cancer. Um, and the palace, uh, Buckingham Palace hasn't said what kind of cancer the king's been diagnosed with. But two things are happening. He's getting treated at home, outpatient cancer treatment, because let's face it, the best doctors in the UK are probably at Buckingham Palace In-house. taking care of him. Yes. And now Harry is flying back today from right from LAX right to He's Heathrow left, Airport. Yeah, so he should be arriving there soon uh, in the afternoon. I know you watch Harry's movements closely. But, well, here's the thing. When this news broke, it broke. We all found out publicly yesterday afternoon. Do you think Harry found out at the same time as we did? Maybe a little bit before, but not much. Not much. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think the rest of the family probably knew, Will probably knew, uh, for a few days. I'm assuming when he was discharged from the hospital. 
that's when the rest of the family found out. But I think Harry just found out right around the same time that we did. That's why he's on a plane. He's back there, which is great because him and his father are estranged. Uh, but there are questions here. So we have no idea what type of cancer this is. Yeah. I'm wondering why they haven't told us. You're telling us that he has cancer, but you refuse to tell us what kind, which makes me wonder if people, if it's terminal. Do you think that's more ominous than it is uh, yes. innocent? Yes. Yeah. Oh, they don't do anything innocently. They don't yeah. even know how to if they tried. Uh, no, but a lot of the, our, my recollection is a lot of Prince Philip's health issues were not necessarily covered up. Like it, but it's really hard to keep something. secrets. Right. And so it's like he was, was just expected. in a car accident. We need to stop him. Even in, in the crown, he's driving like a maniac down the road and he's like 86. <laughs> like my dad's about to turn 80 this week and we're like, we're hopeful he'll keep his license. I th- absolutely, might not. I, oh, no, I know. My dad went through that recently. Yeah. I absolutely think it was uh, it's ominous. I don't think it's a good sign of what type of cancer mm. they're not releasing it. I think the fact that Harry, who is estranged from his father, is on a plane on the way there, which is great. For them, if this is what it takes to get talking again, it's unfortunate, but at least you're going to have that that door is open. And I think, I hate to say this, I think William might have to start getting ready yeah. to take over. Uh, Carol Sikora, uh, Carl Sikora was, is an oncologist. He was on the UK's uh, Talk TV primetime program last night uh, and said this. You know, I've been an oncologist for as long as I can remember, nearly 50 years. And cancer treatment has got so much better both chemotherapy and radiotherapy, so much less unpleasant for everybody. Mm. And uh, it's likely that he's being put up for radiotherapy by the sound of the the things coming out. And that's done usually in the same hospital. He had the surgery, the London Clinic, have a very lovely radiotherapy unit opened by the Queen uh, about 12 years ago. And it's high tech, wonderful. And I'm sure that's where he'll go for treatment. So there's a lot about the changing impact of cancer. Treatments are better, Sheba. And there's, there's, as he notes, you go through chemo. Like that's, that's just something we learned when we were like five years old watching movies and TV, or if we had an older relative, chemo is awful. It's, it's, it's awful. It's meant to save your life, but radiotherapy takes less out of you. And if that's indeed what he's getting instead of chemo, he's got a better shot of success and living longer. I hope for the sake of his family, yes. For the sake of his boys, for the sake of his grandchildren, yes. Yeah. Um, we'll keep people posted on it, Harry, uh, in the air and flying. What we didn't also anticipate uh, yesterday uh, when we left the show was talking about, um, well, it's not just Indiana Jones' least favorite uh, <sighs> reptile. It's mine as well. There's a big snake in the plane, Jacques! Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie! I hate snakes, Jacques! I hate we all do. Toronto today hates snakes universally. But Sheba, I don't think you've probably had the nightmares I've had about snakes. I'm uh, I'm down a street. There's a cobra chasing me. Have you seen I'm, Anaconda with JLo? I, yeah, well, I went to the theater to see that. Oh, amazing which is, movie. Amazing. I, Deserves an Oscar. Oscar worthy. <laughs> There's some big names in there. Owen Wilson's in it. He <laughs> yes. meets a uh, untimely Ice fate. Tea or Ice John Voight, Ice Cube. <laughs> Ice Cube. Is in it. Yes. One of the Ices uh, is in it. And yesterday... So- it's spotted in Mississauga, a massive snake motionlessly floating in a river. And there's a duck right next to it also. Did you spot that? There is. I saw the duck. I was waiting. Okay, so this is the Credit River in Arendelle Park. I, I've paddle boated here. I've dragon boated here. I have kayaked here. I know this river very well. And this video, it's a common boa. It's sort of on the edge of the river underneath a rock. It's enormous. It's massive. And I'm telling you, if I was on a paddleboard and I saw that, I I might actually have a heart attack. 
I, I, you'd never paddleboard again. Like it's not, it's not like you're going by in a rowboat or something, or what, or, or a party boat or something, and you're like in in somewhere exotic. Because you've you've traveled a fair bit the last couple of years. You've seen an alligator that doesn't bother. Oh, I was in the Amazon you, last you expect March to. in South America. Yes, I exactly, and it was. I knew I was going there for that. I saw a massive. I saw a giant viper coiled up. But see, these are all control, not controlled environments. It was out in the wild. But I'm not. I'm not vulnerable on a paddleboard. So this snake was motionless. There was a day, uh, I'm sorry, a duck beside it. So you're trying to figure out why isn't it eating the duck? And now it's now come out that the snake is is dead. Yeah. So I think that yeah. someone actually didn't want it anymore, released it into the river, not realizing that our cold Canadian waters, it can't survive in that. No. Or, or it maybe it passed away already in a tank inside. So and they, they just, just dump a dead snake into the river? Y- you know, you're, uh, it's, uh, some people have funerals at sea. This is. It is massive. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's all, yeah. That duck's probably like, I'm relieved that that thing's not alive. I was just coming through looking for some, looking for some food, looking for a good time. Um, I have no idea if this is a problem, but yeah, it's, we're, it's not exactly indigenous, put it this way, uh, to the GTA. <laughs> Um, I love the uh, note. Anyone who spots the snakes being advised to contact Mississauga Animal Services, unless it's alive and strangles you to death. And then you don't have to do that. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, April Engelberg. uh, We love talking uh, Toronto City Hall with her. And she joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Good morning, Greg. How are you? I'm sorry I don't have the Juno Awards uh, nominations for you and I to go through and go. I like that song. I don't like that song. Someday. Maybe I next know. week. I want to hear your Nelly Fortano. <laughs> like, where's Glass Tiger's album? It's not in there. What's going on here? Um, World Cup. Yeah. Let's let's start there. Uh, we we talked about it a good chunk over the last few weeks, and since the last time we talked, the province has kicked in basically the hundred has about ninety seven million dollars, which would they were hope, the city was hoping that they would. I'm going to make the case that sometimes you got to spend money to make money here. And, well, I think that the the deal was very sloppy in those late John Tory months that was made between MLSE and the city. I, I think we have to go for this, April. I, I'm I'm all in. I, I, I think it was obviously way too late to cancel. Olivia Chow, it felt like, took this on reluctantly as something she inherited. But we better go for it now and, and make it look good on the world stage in two years. Okay, so I think there's an important caveat to what the province said. So they're giving uh, $97 out of the around $300 that it's going to cost us to host. But it's only if the federal government also contributes, which they still haven't. Which means as of now, really, the city is still on the hook for the whole thing until the federal government says they're going to give money. So it's going to be another one of those whole long drawn out things eventually with Olivia Chow. Federal government, we need your money. Can we have your money? And then eventually, finally, at the end of the day, they'll give money. But as of now, we're still on the hook until the federal government gives money. But two things. One, I think Olivia knew that was always going to be the job. You and I have talked about this tons, that whoever was going to win uh, a mayoral by-election was really going to have to roll up their sleeves and work with the provincial and federal government to kind of, A, dig Toronto out of debt, and B, if we even wanted remotely nice things as well, and I'd class this as a nice thing. It's a luxury, not a necessity. Um, she'd have to She'd have to be ready for those kind of asks, right? Exactly. So she's actually, you know, doing very well with a very good approval rating right now. And a lot of it has to do with her just Mm. getting money from upstore levels of government. Yeah, I think that I think that factors in without even 
knowing, without even knowing how it's going to go, and my goodness, a lot in politics could change. I don't have a doubt the federal government is going to kick in. I know a lot of people might look at the polls, April, which you just referenced municipally, and say, what's the motivation here for Justin Trudeau and the liberals to kick in if they think they're not even going to be the government by the time the tournament comes around? But it is just what you do. There's there's many mayors and, and premiers and, and governments that set something up eight, nine years in advance. Could be a new stadium. It could be something else. And they know they won't live uh, live politically to see it all the way through. Exactly. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. I, you know, still personally don't think that the World Cup is a good investment for our city. It would be one thing, you know, if the city was lush, if we had all this extra money. But we are being told repeatedly, like, we don't have an extra dollar. Yeah. So given the current situation, I still don't think it's a good investment. But I guess, you know, we're, we have to move forward with the deal. Um, a news conference on uh, transit fare integration happened yesterday. So on February 26th, there's something called the One Fare Program, which means transit users can pay just the one fare. Now, two things. The province is kicking in a ton of money, $67 million over two years for the initial phase of this program. But I I, I do wonder, do you think this is a um, at all a gamble in are they going to lose more money than gain new customers? Interesting. They might, they might lose a bit more money. I, I, I don't know. I think base, it's important for us to explain what's happening. So basically with one fare, it means they use the example of you're coming from Barrie and you're going to work in Toronto, right? So if you take a bus to get to your go station and you get on the go station, you get on the go train and then you end up at, you know, let's say union station. And then you take the TTC for a few stops to get to work. The only thing you're going to pay for is the go train because you're just going to pay for the most expensive part of your journey. And I think that that's awesome because there's so many people that hesitate to take the go to get into the city because it's like, oh, well, I'm going to have to pay for, you know, three things or two things and it all adds up and it's going to end up being more expensive than this parking I'm going to find or whatever it is. But this is really encouraging more and more people to take the go. And I think that's the only way forward for downtown. We can't have people driving downtown from um, other municipalities all the time. We need to encourage people to take the go. And I hope with that, we also see even further improvements to the schedule. I think, um, and being a suburbanite, the, the go has had a lot of wins lately. Um, and and th- they've had some drawbacks, as in there's too many closures on an important weekend in Toronto. All of a sudden, you can't. I know there was um, the huge waterfront marathon. There was no go service coming on the Lakeshore East. So people had to, they didn't even realize it that morning. They had to all of a sudden jump in a car and come down and do something, you know, give to run for 26 miles and give for charity. But the the, the winds April have been very much the weekend travel passes, the 12 and unders. And I know that costs them money at the end of the day, but I think it's 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 not unlike sort of, you know, Avion points or optimum points. I think you're, you got to give something back to keep customer loyalty in this day and age. And I think the Go's done some good things doing that. Definitely. I, it's, it's the future, right? Like we just mm-hmm. can have this level of population growth with people still driving in from other municipalities to the downtown core. Do you think the subway is something suburbanites are hesitant still uh, about? Like they're almost more inclined to take uh, the go in, pay that one fare, as you said, from Barrie or where I am in Ajax or Pickering. But the subway is still still safety concerns about it, right? Oh, interesting. Uh, I, I hope not. You know, I personally still ride the TTC and I just think statistically like you're safer on the TTC than driving. 
but I can't speak for everyone. Um, the federal government gives uh, money for asylum seekers. We mentioned it on the show last week. They're going to make, uh, and we had the numbers early, $100 million that gets the uh, city whole for the end of 2023. But some of it as well, they didn't give the $250 million that Sherry, Shelley Carroll, the budget chair, uh, chief, vocally asked for and said, we're going to have to tight, uh, hike taxes on Torontonians even more. The, the federal government, I get why they frame it this way. They're like, we're going to reframe immigration, but we'll give you money for the first three months of the year because we can't make these changes that swiftly. What did you make of the whole affair? Okay, so again, I still just didn't like how the you know newcomers to Toronto, especially asylum seekers, are being used as political pawns, right? And we were told, if there's not $250 million that is coming from the federal government, we're going to get a extra 6% tax increase. And it's going to be just because of this, you know, just because of the asylum seekers. I really didn't like that. And obviously it wasn't accurate because we only got $162 million, not 250. And we're being told we're not getting that tax increase. So anyway, the whole thing just did not feel right to me. I didn't like it, but I'm happy that it's over and we're moving forward. And anything that you wish the the federal liberals had done a little bit differently? I mean, even the MPs kind of have to wait until Christopher Freeland, she's the finance minister, swoops down and and says this is the amount or Justin Trudeau does it. Like they can advocate and they can push, but there's only so much they can do. They had to play the waiting game also. I guess. I just wish there was more of just the language of it of like, you know, we are welcoming these people. We're happy to welcome these people instead of making it more like they're a financial burden to us when, you know, they're asylum seekers and we should be, you know, welcoming them in a positive way. Yeah. But but I think the immigration question is a big one. Right. Is to, is to figure out who's here fleeing, you know, political mayhem, who's fleeing their life and who's an economic migrant just looking for a better life. And there's not there's not much distinction or delineation between those two right now to me. Okay, I I had thought, you know, I'll look into it more, but I had thought with the asylum seekers, you know, this this was, you know, actually like their people are fleeing. It's yeah. not an economic thing. Yeah, it's a little bit of both, that's for sure. But uh, but I'm worried the, the the laws are really muddied right now. They certainly are in the states. That's a massive match of election issue federally in the states. I got to leave it there. Thanks so much for this. Thanks, Greg. Have a good day. There's April Engelbert. 